When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. What do you say? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. What is the purpose of the church? It may seem like a fairly simple question, and to a degree it is, because like a lot of doctrines in the Bible, there is both simplicity and also complexity to it. What is the purpose of the church? If it seems simple, it's not quite as easy to pick apart as you might think. For example, in preparation for this sermon, I was rereading through one of the books I have at home. It's simply entitled, Four Views on the Church's Mission. And... Again, if you didn't know, there were at least four views about what is the mission of the church. There is some overlap. So yes, everybody would say in general, what is the church for? Glorify God. But the particulars of what that means, there's quite some distinctive differences amongst people. If you include some of the more modern secular churches, even though they're not churches, right? there's even more definitions of what's the mission of a church. The secular version is basically reflect back to society what the society is. So I'm not even going to consider that as a valid option because we are people of the book. What does God's word say is the mission of the church? One of the authors, his name is Jonathan Lehman. He's a pastor up in Washington, D.C., in the proper, in the actual capital of the nation. He provided some very helpful guidance that I found beneficial to how to think through this topic. And that is this. Think through the broad and the narrow mission of the church, okay? Deep and wide. Say the broad and the narrow mission of the church. What is the narrow mission of the church? What do I mean by that? Well, the narrow mission of the church is simply this. It's two words. Can somebody think of it? Two words I'm thinking of. Think about Matthew 28 and Mark 16, the endings of the Gospels. Not quite. It's it's very closely related to that. Make disciples. What is the narrow mission of the church? Make disciples. Make followers of Jesus. Another way to think of it, the narrow mission of the church. It stresses the corporate, the gathered, the organized ministry of the church, right? Of the gathered local church. And the emphasis is on ministry of the word, okay? For things such as preaching, teaching, evangelism, Bible studies, so on and so forth. That's the narrow mission. The broad mission of the church is not to make disciples per se, but it's to be disciples. Okay? I think this is, you can't clear cut and paste separately, you know, so much. There's a lot of overlap, but it's a helpful way to think about it. The broad mission of the church is to be disciples of Jesus. That means live out the word in your local context, in your job, in your home, in your community. So another way to think about it, 
Think about the mission of a law school or medical school. And think about the actual mission of a lawyer or a doctor. Is there some overlap between them? Certainly. But one is more so focused on training, equipping, preparing, and the other, being an actual lawyer or doctor, it's meant to actually put that into practice, right? Live it out. Be a lawyer, be a doctor in your own context. Another way to think about it, the narrow mission of the church is like an embassy, and the broad mission of the church is like being an ambassador who steps out of the confines of the actual embassy, So make disciples, be disciples. And please remember, this is not an either or, okay? It's not only about training and equipping. It's not only about living and doing. It's about both and. We need both. So the church needs to have sound doctrine. The church needs to have solid preaching. But we also ought to support pregnancy centers and serving the poor. Okay, it's not as though a church needs to do one or the other. Some are all about community involvement. Some seem to be a little more head-based um, and knowledge-based and a little more doctrinal-based. We need both and. Okay. So between the broad and the narrow, this morning I'm simply going to focus on the narrow definition of the church. What is the purpose of the gathered, local, organized assembly of God's people in a local context like Hillsborough Baptist Church? What's the mission can boil it down to three components, and I think they very much reflect back what our current mission statement is, to know, show, and grow. What are the three components of what any local church ought to be focusing on? Three of them for you. Number one, glorify God. Number two, build up the body. And then number three, to keep up with that alliteration, serve the stray, okay, or serve the lost. Glorify God, build up the body, serve the stray. Let's go through them one by one. Number one, glorify God Almighty. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. Peter is speaking to Christians. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Those are descriptions of who the church is, what the church is like. But it's not just about who are you. It's about what are you called to do? What did I design you for? Why did I save you? Your chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God chose you. God set you apart. He has saved you so that you would declare his praises. How do you declare God's praises? It's the simple way, with your mouth, right? to literally say, praise the Lord, or praise God, praise Jesus, glorify Jesus, thank you Jesus, right? Verbally to do that, and that's important to do. But as you read scripture, and as we, in the book of James, where it talks about the mouth quite a bit, it's not just about what you say, it's about how you live your life, okay? So glorify God with your mouth, but also with your deeds, word and deed. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 simply tells us that Jesus, the God Almighty, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not just what you say, but the entirety of your life. You're called to live a holy life before the Lord. And how do we live a holy life before the Lord? In part, we do that through the context of a local church community. And as Ephesians 3.21 says regarding the church, to Him, to Jesus Christ, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So church, I ask you the simple question. What is the ultimate mission of the church? It's not rhetorical. Let me hear it. What's the ultimate mission of the church? To glorify God. Okay? To glorify God. There are outflows and outworkings of what that means. Yes, serving the poor. Yes, building up Christians. We'll look at that in just a moment. But the ultimate purpose, any church exists, is for the glory of God. For the renown of God Almighty. It's ultimately and primarily God-centered, not human-centered. This is so important for us to drill deep into our heads and our hearts. The church does not ultimately exist to build buildings, nor does it exist in a community to simply be a well-known, friendly group of people in the community. The church does not ultimately exist to abolish sex trafficking, nor does it ultimately exist to feed the poor. Again, I'm using a very particular word there, ultimately. Those are all manifestations of what it means to glorify God. But we always must keep the main thing, the main thing. Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And here at Hillsboro, What's the first component of our mission statement that I say week after week? You know, this, that's one of, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I really don't care how tired you get of me saying that. I'm going to say that every single Sunday because we need to drill this down into our hearts and our heads so that we live it out. Okay, what's the first component? Know God's Word. Know God's Word. How does that correlate to glorifying God? Right? They're not the exact same, but what's the correlation there? Well, think about it like this. To glorify Jesus, you have to know who Jesus is. Okay, this is basic common sense. To know who Jesus is, how do we get to know who he is? Through the word, okay? It's pretty simple. But I like how in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, we see this correlation of worshiping God being very closely correlated to knowing God through his word. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Ezra opened the book, the Word of God. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see the connection there. Ezra's own personal worship of God the people's worship of God, was entirely in response to the word of God being declared and read to them, being uttered, being spoken over them. And this is why it is imperative for us as a local church to know God's word. Okay, we're not doing this to merely do a history lesson about some ancient book 2,000 years old. We do this to know who God is, to know the creator of the universe. And that's why we do it. So, we glorify God by knowing God, by being in His book. The church exists to glorify God, number one. Number two, the church also exists as a subset of that, as a demonstration of that, to build up the body of Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. 
So the, the verses prior to verse 11, Paul's talking about how Jesus Christ has given grace to his people. You see that in verse 6 or verse 7. Right? To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Right? So Jesus gives grace to his people, to the church. Then in verse 11, it's explained a little bit more of what that looks like. What does this grace look like in a church body? Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This right here is a beautiful key text in terms of what is the church, what's the purpose of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, file that in the back of your head few things to take note of. Verses 11 and 12. This one is very important, especially in today's context. Sometimes, and in some context, some cultures, a local church, and maybe you grew up this way. What's your thought of the pastor of the church? Okay? All right, we're the Christians. We're the members of the church. We're going to hire a pastor to come, preach the word to us, and um, so that the pastor can do all the important things, Right? That is not at all the vision here. What is the role of a pastor, of a teacher, of an evangelist, apostle, prophet? What is the role? To equip his people, to equip the church for works of service. Okay? My primary role, or one of them, right? There, there's multiple. One of my primary roles as pastor is to equip you to do the ministry. Right? We are all ministers, not in the vocational, like, I'm, you know, this is my full-time gig, we are all ministers. If you are a Christian, God has called you to minister in your own context, wherever God has placed you. So that's one thing to keep note of. But to what end, right? To equip his people for works of service. Look at verse 12. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Before we get too quickly to think about the outside world and the needs of the world out there, which is important to think about, look at what the immediate purpose is. The role of the leadership in the church, of those who are teachers, equip the people for works of service. For who? So that the body of Christ might be built up. So that the church might be built up. So that the church would be encouraged, would be uplifted. Uh, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, right, to be unified together in the truth, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and also, look at that key word there, and become mature. Become mature. Verses 14 and 16 um, unpack that more so, right? Becoming mature. Christianity, I've said this before, it's not simply about fire insurance, okay? It's not a get out of hell free card. You're, you're in times, you know, after what happens when you die, that's good to go. You can do whatever you want in this life. No. Christianity is about, yes, Jesus securing your future, but it's also about, hey, I want you to experience my grace today in 2024. God is a God of the past, 
present, and the future. He is with us now presently, and he wants us to experience him presently. And he wants us to become mature, right? He doesn't just want us to get to heaven to just barely get in there. He wants us to be mature, whole people. And we see that also in Colossians 1, verse 28. It tells us, Paul is saying, He, Jesus Christ, Jesus is the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? Why do we preach? Why do we teach? Why do I stand up here, Jimmy D. Temple? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is so important to keep in mind. Now, how is the body of Christ to be built up? Look again at Ephesians 4. How is the body of Christ to be built up? How do we have unity in the faith and how do we grow in our knowledge of the Son of God? There's two components highlighted in the text. Ephesians 4.15, this is a very well-known phrase, speak the truth in love. How does the body of Christ get built up? How does it grow? How does it become mature? The truth being spoken in love. Yes, from the pulpit, but also around the table, right? Your, your literal table at home, around the Sunday school table, around um, other opportunities to grow in the word, to, for one another, speaking the truth to one another in love, and from the pulpit. But then from chapter 4, verse 12, to equip his people for works or service, look at right there, that last phrase, so that the body of Christ may be built up. How? To equip his people for works of service. How is the body of Christ built up? The truth spoken in love and loving works of service to one another. Okay? So again, you see that combination, word and deed. All right? That's how the body of Christ is built up. Think about it like this. The second component of our mission statement is what? Know God's word, show God's love. Okay? Before we think about the world, we have to first begin in our own home. For example, am I called, as a Christian, am I called to care about the plight of children? Right? Am I, am I called to care about the plight of children? Right? The, the, in general. Yes. Absolutely. But my primary, not my only, but my primary care and affection must be shown to my literal children. Okay? And if you're a grandparent, your children, your grandchildren great-grandchildren, so on and so forth. It begins in the household of faith. It does not end there. If we as a church are going to be a church that loves this community, that loves the world, we have to begin by loving one another. Okay? This is extremely important for us to remember and to practice. As 1 John 4.20 tells us, if you don't love your brother or sister whom you have seen, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. So how do we love one another? How do we love one another through our words, through our deeds? I just want to share a few of the verses, a few of the one another commands, all right? How do we love one another? Here's a few of them from Scripture. Romans twelve ten and verse 16. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Yeah, what we were looking at. Be completely humble and gentle. 
be patient, bearing with one another in love. And verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me stop right there, just make a quick note on that one. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. What's the underlying implication packed into that verse? It is simply this. The church, other Christians will hurt you. Okay? They will offend you. They will disagree with you. All right? They will sin against you. What does Jesus tell us to do? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All right? Follow his example. Ephesians 5.19, we practiced this one this morning. Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So yes, we are singing to one another on Sunday morning. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul just, beginning of verse 13, started to unpack um, having a hope for the end times, having a hope for when you die. How do we grieve at the loss of a loved one or when we die, right? How do others grieve well? Uh, Paul explains that you know, there's going to be hope with Jesus. He's going to come back, rescue us, restore us back to life. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Hebrews 3.13 Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Right? A lot of this encouragement talk, you have to understand it's not solely hunky-dory, joyful, smiling, bubbly, feel good all the time. Hebrews 3.13, right there. Encourage one another daily. What's the primary thing that the author says there? So that you won't be hardened against sin's deceitfulness. Encouraging one another entails calling one another out on sin. Okay? So it can get ugly. It can get messy. But we have a God who doesn't run away from the pain, who doesn't run away from the mess. He runs to us with love, with grace, with patience. Last one, another command I'll just mention. 1 Peter 4.9. Offer hospitality, not necessarily to other people yet. Offer hospitality to one another and to do it without grumbling. Okay? All of those commands could easily be expounded upon. You know, forgiveness, hospitality, a unity, speaking good, encouraging words to one another, right? We're going to be unpacking that in James. But I remind you, why does the church exist? To build up the body of Christ, to love the body of Christ, to serve one another with words, with deeds, so that we might become mature. Number three, last one. Why does the church exist? What is the purpose of the church? Glorify God, build up the body, serve the stray or serve the lost. This is done kind of in two ways, both through mercy ministry, such as you know, serving the poor, but also gospel proclamation. Right? That's how we serve the lost. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It's interesting in the Gospels and Acts as it continues the story 
after Jesus was resurrected, right, that's an, a spectacle to behold, to see your friend, your mentor, the one that you love, to see him back from the dead. So that's truly awesome. And then, of course, the ascension, Jesus going back to heaven. And that, that was certainly a sight to behold as well. But all the, the gospel accounts, how does it end? What does Jesus say? You know, sit, sit around a circle and just kind of talk about what you think about the Bible, what it says. Hash out a few of the specific doctrinal things that are a little confusing. What does he say? Go and tell others. Right? Go and tell others. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Luke 24, verse 48. Jesus simply said, You are witnesses of these things. And as we see in Acts 1, verse 8, not only did they observe Jesus' life and his ministry, Acts 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses, active tense. You're going to share this, what you've witnessed, to others. So the entire thrust of what Jesus ended on, go share it, go spread it, go disseminate it around the world. God gives so that you can share. It's as simple as that. God gives so that you can share. I had a professor in my undergrad who said quite often, you were never more like God than when you were giving to bless others. Stated slightly differently, you are most like God when you give to bless others. Something, and that's true. That's, that's, that's you know, biblically, scripturally true. Something to consider. You and I as Christians, we have, as Second Peter chapter 1 talks about, we have received the most precious promises in the world. Not only that, you and I, as Christians who have received the Holy Spirit, we have the most powerful force, person, right? The Spirit is a person. We have the most powerful thing, the most powerful person in the world being the Holy Spirit. Precious promises, powerful love and strength. What are we supposed to do with it? Share it with others. The Baptist Faith and Message has a section for evangelism and missions. And if, um, if the slide's working, could you turn to that? There we go. So if you will, this is, again, in context of sharing, disseminating the truth. If you will, read this with me um, about evangelism and missions. It is the duty and privilege of every follower of Christ and of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ to endeavor to make disciples of all nations. The new birth of man's spirit by God's Holy Spirit means the birth of love for others. Missionary effort on the part of all rests thus upon a spiritual necessity of the regenerate life and is expressly and repeatedly commanded in the teachings of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has commanded the preaching of the gospel to all nations. It is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the loss to Christ by verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle and by other methods in harmony with the gospel of Christ. As we serve the lost, 
as we serve those who are not Christians in Crozet, the greatest need is not marriage counseling. The greatest need for the residents here is not to find fulfillment in my career. The greatest need is not to become better parents. The greatest need, let me be clear, the greatest need of this community for those who do not know Jesus personally is to what? Know Jesus personally. To be reconciled to God. Because this world wants all of those things, and those are good things, okay? To seek marriage counseling, to want to be a better parent, to to want to work hard and to find fulfillment in my career, those are all good things, right? There's biblical ways to go about that. But the world wants the fruit without having the root. They want the blessings of God without having God himself. That is extremely wrong. Because if you give people only bread, is it good to give them bread? Yes. But if you give them only bread without giving them eternal bread of life, what good is it? What good is it? Please understand my heart. I want to be clear. This is not a matter of either or, okay? I'm not saying that we as a church need to be all doctrinal and only talk about the literal gospel and never do these mercy ministry things. Absolutely not. It's both and, but as a local church, it is a matter of especially, okay? Yes, we do mercy ministry. Yes, we support pregnancy centers. Yes, we support those who are poor, such, doing it through the ministry of Love, Inc. Yes, we do these different things. We support missionaries around the world who are you know, building wells in Africa and, and so on and so forth. But it's a matter of especially. We as a church are especially, as First Timothy describes us, we are a pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is. That's in First Timothy chapter 4. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And if we are not standing upon the truth, and as we've been, we looked at in Galatians um, during the men's Bible study on Saturday, if we are not preserving the truth, if we are not holding on to the truth that was handed down to us, and if we are not proclaiming the truth, who in the world will? It is the responsibility of the church to proclaim, to stand upon, to believe, to defend, to love the truth of God's inerrant, beautiful, perfect word. Okay? It's a matter of especially. Not either or, but especially. So church, I'm done. In summary, what's the mission of the church? Glorify God. Build up the body. Serve the stray. And I hope you see that reflective in our own mission statement. We want to glorify God by knowing God. Knowing God's word. We want to build up the body by showing God's love to one another, foremostly, not only, but beginning with the household of faith. And then lastly, we want to serve the stray. We want to serve the lost. And we do that by growing God's kingdom, seeing his blessings expand the concentric circles, right, around all the people whom we know. And who do we do it all for? All for the glory of Christ. Okay? It begins with him. It ends with him. That's why we gather That's why we sing. That's why we dive into his word. So church, let's pray, and then we'll close with the doxology. Father, we as a congregation, we as Christians at Hillsborough Baptist Church, we are but one tiny little microcosm of the 
global church that is around the world. Father, your word is clear regarding what we ought to be doing, what ought to be our focus, what ought to be our priorities. We as a little local church, we can't do everything, but we can do something. We can't be everywhere, but we can be somewhere. We can't minister to everyone, but we can minister to at least one person. Please help us to be united in the truth of your word. Help us to be united in mission as we actively strive to please you, to follow you, to work alongside you to see your kingdom expand around the world. Please help us to be humble, to be forgiving, to be loving towards one another, especially when we may rub each other wrong. Help us to truly practice long-suffering, patience, and forgiveness in the household of faith. And may we extend that same love to the outsiders, to the lost, to our enemies. Help us to love those who are unlovable by the eyes of the world. And we know that's only possible because you have first loved us, though we ourselves were very ugly, very broken, cast aside, like that beggar on the road who was assaulted, who was beaten up. But we thank you that there was one who stopped, who who gave him bandages, who patched him together. That's a little picture of how you treat us, Jesus. Help us to delight in the gospel, to encourage one another in the gospel, and to share the gospel with those who have never heard it, who may be apathetic about it, or who may be antagonistic against it. Help us to share the gospel, Lord, with this community, with this state, with this nation, with all nations in the world. Holy Spirit, apart from you, we labor in vain. We cannot do it without you. We are wasting time. But we know that by your strength, by your power, by your grace, we can do all things. Help us to stay on our knees before you. Please help us, Jesus. We need you. Thank you for the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. Help us to do our part in staying committed to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.